Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here in the podcast studios with Andrea Whittle and Aaron Florio, who are editors for Condé Nast Traveler. And we have Becca Meisner, who is our West Coast editor, and she's here by FaceTime. Honestly, we can never know whether it's FaceTime <laughs> or Skype. And we have behind us the mother of all storms that just broke out. We record on Tuesday, so I hope New York is still here on Friday when we release. But just in case it's not, the podcast will be stored in an off-site facility, and we'll make sure that the people can get it. So today we're going to talk about what makes a great hotel. We just released our hot list, which is our annual list of the best new hotels in the world. And it does indeed cover the world. So I thought it would be a great time for us to talk about what a really great hotel is, how that definition has evolved, and also talk about this list that we put together that takes an entire year to make. It's one of the longest lasting things that we do, right? The, the most effortful things that we do. So I'm curious, starting kind of at the very beginning, which is where we are now for next year's list in a way, how many hotels do we consider for the hot list, starting from the very beginning? There's not a definite number that we consider. We All we really do is pay attention to all of the openings all over the world that we think may be of interest. I think in this year's list, we had almost 500 hotels that we started out with. We landed on a, around about 100. But in the years in the past, we've had um, any range of like 300. Or Becky, you've been working on this longer than I have. How many do you think's been the highest number we've started with? Uh, I think this year was pretty high. We were around 500, and that is not every single hotel that has opened in the past year. It's every hotel that we think might have a chance for making the hot list. So you're already cutting down probably two-thirds of the actual hotels that have opened around the world. So I don't know, a huge, huge body of, of hotels that we start with. And how do you guys hear about these? They come in through PR mostly, right? Is that how you hear? It's a real mix. A lot come in from PR. Some come in from just, you know, having your ear to the ground and you hear about things from people who are traveling. You hear about things from photographers. And we always kind of joke because it, it, every year there's, you know, a few Instagram darlings that you just keep seeing on people's feeds that, you know, the way a, a good restaurant or a good bar here in your hometown of New York kind of, you know, gathers momentum. The same thing happens with hotels. So you just kind of, the way you kind of keep your ear to the ground when you're reporting anything. And do you get them from, do writers know our, like we have writers all around the world that we work with, they know that this is coming and they feed these things to us? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we really rely on when we're making the hot list, and we rely on this to an extent for everything that we do, is our network around the world. So writers that we have on the ground in certain locations, photographers, like Becca said. Obviously, we have really good relationships with the PR. And everyone, I mean, same, you know, it's not just myself and Becca, but Andrea as well have relationships. You know, we have personal relationships with different PR firms. So, you know, if it isn't me or Becca getting the news, Andrea will feed the news to us. And, and we just have a really sort of good system working both in the office, but also around the world that we trust to feed us this news. And also, I mean, I know this has happened to me and I'm sure it's happened to the three of you as well. I've been traveling in places where when I'm on the ground, uh, a hotel or a property that, you know, people are really excited about that I haven't heard about otherwise gets brought to my attention and then I go and see it that way. So yeah, it's a real mix. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the other day I had a meeting with a hotel that just opened like earlier this year. Mm, Legato? 
yeah, in Cartagena. Yeah. And it was like the sort of meeting that was like a one-off. And that was like, oh, this is interesting. I walked into Lauren's or Aaron's office and I was like, maybe we should take a look at this. Like, keep this on the list for next year. And, it, you know, things come up. People have meetings. You get emails from writers. We forward them around to each other. And it sort of starts this engine yeah, and of, like, what needs to be seen. Andrea brought up a really key, like, four-letter word in the whole process, which is <laughs> the list. Um, we keep this massive running document year-round with every name, every location, who's going to see it, has somebody seen it, if it's worth it. Uh, we, yeah, I mean, me and Becca get to know this list more intimately than um, <laughs> most other things <laughs> in the months leading up to in the months leading up to Hot List. But, yeah, there is the, the crucial list before it becomes the Hot List. And there are a few properties that have been on the list for three years that haven't opened that just keep getting rolled over. That's um, funny because that happens not infrequently, right? Like ho- oh, hotel, it's construction, so mm-hmm. hotels get delayed. Oh, exactly. Oh, if a hotel says it's opening a certain month, add two months to that, and then it might open then. And then yeah. maybe add another year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are right. hotels that we've been talking about since like my first day here two years ago that like still haven't opened. <laughs> That like maybe might make it onto next year's. Who knows? It's a real shame when that happens too. And this, uh, of course, like we don't use this officially, but sometimes when there's a property that we've been talking about for so long, our enthusiasm for it wanes sort of unfairly (laughs) because it's been floating around and not delivering much for so long that, uh, yeah. Boy who cried. There's a boy who cried wolf kind of. Exactly. But then one of our writers might go to it and be like, this place is absolutely fantastic for this, 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 and this reason. And we're like, That happened, yeah, that happened with me. There was one that Mm -hmm. had had taken so long to open that it became an adjective for when something was taking a long (laughs) time. (laughs) And it made the list. It made the list this year. And it was wonderful, so... That's great. Do you yes. remember which one it was? I, know. I do. I bet I know which one it was. <laughs> it was uh, Los Acalvos ah. in uh, St. Elena. Yeah. Okay, great. Great property. So every hotel that's going to get on this list needs to be seen by somebody within our network, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Yep. And how do we decide which are going to get a visit and which don't really sure. feel like they're ready for it? Well, some of them um, throughout the course of the regular magazine calendar year, when we're sending someone to report a story, say, in China, and they have to land in Beijing, we know that they're going to have to stay somewhere. So we try to get them to a hotless property. And those are real low risk, you know, low lift visits. They're going to be there anyway. So we try to do that as much as possible. And then for other ones, if we have a writer in the area that we've worked with and we really trust, we try to use staff members as much as possible just because they're sort of a shorthand and a shared aesthetic. But we do sometimes rely on writers that we really trust who may live in Paris or, you know, are going somewhere for another story. So we do, we get creative. And then we also have a list of ones that we have a pretty good idea that we want to include just because we've either heard from, you know, firsthand from friends or they look amazing and then we'll make a concerted effort to actually send someone to scout yeah and just piggybacking off of that we haven't really gotten into what we set as a criteria for a hotel that actually ends up making the list Mm -hmm. but you know a lot of things are considered one thing we do consider like more than you would think is if the actual destination of the hotel is somewhere realistically Mm -hmm 
an American traveler would be going to. Mm-hmm. So that plays into it. it ne- we need to figure out if within, you know, not, not just our network of reporters, but our network as in our readers, if yeah. it's actually relevant to them, we would factor that in as well. And then there, there are a few places, right, Becca? Like there are a few places sort of in sort of far sweeps of Vietnam where, you know, it might make sense if you were an expat living in Hong Kong, but the destination right. itself wasn't quite ready for us. And we sort of could acknowledge that without having to dig any deeper. Right. Or take like this, the addition in Sanya, right. China, which is a huge exactly. visiting, you know, a huge vacation spot for the Chinese, but Americans, not so much. So some kind of write themselves off the list in a way. But the funny thing is, to that point, sometime, we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but sometimes <laughs> the right hotel opening can make a destination. So you right. need to have the right gauge of when it falls on one side of those two things. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's worth talking about. So yeah. let, let's come back to that. Um, how many people end up being involved in this? Doing between all of these different components, all the scouting, the people looking on while they're on stories, all of these things. How many people? We have it on the behind the scenes page. <laughs> that we put together there is a issue. behind the scenes there page. Yes. So we we had some fun with um one of our fun with sort numbers. of front of book pages that we usually do in this issue, where we kind of take you behind the making of a story. And it says right here on page 12 of the May issue of Gone Nas Traveler, 37 staffers and contributors flew tens of thousands of miles to visit what ended up being 426 total hotels. And on top of that 37, we had like a ton more than I don't even know how many just feeding the intel mm-hmm. yeah. before we actually put bodies onto planes and yeah. had them scout. So it's it's huge. People are doing a lot of hard work to get that. That's like 10 more than 10 hotels per person, basically. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. put about an average. Of, yeah. what, average, well, when you average it out. I'm sure yeah. somebody did 50 and somebody else did yeah. five. Well, but, you if know. you look also on that page, <laughs> one editor flew more than 62,000 miles in, wow. 60, in her hot list. 548. <laughs> and her name rhymes with Farron Lorio. <laughs> so you are, scouting, you are scouting the shit out of these hotels. Yeah. <laughs> Becca, how many did you do? Oh, gosh. I don't even know, Brad, off the top of my head. I I don't know, maybe five. I didn't do that many physical scouts. I did a lot of emotional scouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's hard for me and Becca to draw the line between like where the emotional scouting ends and the actual scouting <laughs> begins. <laughs> a lot of Aaron and I's job, in addition to just kind of keeping the list and, and is is playing travel agent in a way of getting people on staff and contributors around the world physically to these places there's a ton of coordination i mean when you were talking about that earlier it's like because the other thing people don't know and i I realize this is a lot of insider baseball but i think it's kind of fun like one issue one episode a year to like really kind of lift the curtain a little bit but a lot of the things that we do when we're putting stories together are constantly fluid so you know stories are in stories are out you know there's a discussion that's happening so these things are moving targets and you guys have to kind of stay in touch with all of that as well as with the list that you've got, which is also a moving target because things are still coming in and trying to coordinate so that we can maximize every opportunity, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, just to give you some sense of the coordination, I would say for every property that's on this big, huge, you know, preliminary list, 450 or whatever it is, they're probably... 15 to 20 emails that get sent just about the properties that don't make the list. Yeah. So it's a huge amount of kind of coordinating and keeping track of and due diligence to just to say 
pass. <laughs> right, right. Are there any developers or designers or figures within the hotel world or companies within the hotel world where you just know yeah. when they're opening something, yeah. we're going to do it? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean... I mean, I, I could list them, but I mean, you know, the big players such as, you know, you know, Naman is always going to be a massive deal. Anything, somebody like a hotelier like Ian Schrager, who does have a hotel on the list this year uh, with Public in New York opens is going to be a big deal. Um, Andrew, so- Andrew Sobler, Zobler, um, I guess two or three on the list. Yeah, there are definite players in the industry that we follow and we massively prioritize. But not at the expense of the other, you know, the little guys. But for sure, there are th- some things that you just know will be a shoe in. Yeah. Liz Lambert, you yeah. have a pretty good sense. She did what the, she does is going to be great. Austin this year, the Austin, Austin San Cristobal. And Austin. Mm. She had two on the list. Oh, impressive. Okay, so now we're at the stage where people are actually going out. You guys have decided we're going to actually go to the effort of taking a look at these. And so that subset, when you send somebody or when you go... What is it that you're looking at? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> we try to, we do have a fairly extensive questionnaire that we arm everybody with before they go, which, which we hope is pretty ex- exhaustive and hits all the points. But there's also, you have to have the right instinct and kind of know the competitive set in order to properly judge a property. I mean, Andrea went to quite a few this year. Like what were the main things that you like always noticed or kept an eye out for? I mean, I always keep an eye out for, I like a place that is like beautiful, physically beautiful, has beautiful decor and it feels original and doesn't feel like super cookie cutter. I mean, I saw, I ended up seeing like two of the glamping retreats. That yeah. we, like, you became at. like our unofficial glamping, glamping correspondent. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I kind of love it. It was great. Um, Out of your comfort zone? I saw hotels that were kind of out of the box in terms of like physical structure and format. And And none of the givens. And none of the givens. And it really came down to like, did I feel really good here? Was the place beautiful? Did I enjoy where I was in the world? And, And did I feel like it gave me access to that place in a way that maybe no other place would? And it also comes down to things as simple as like, does the Wi-Fi work? And was the bathroom nice and it, it, it goes everywhere from the sort of more emotional tug of like do I feel relaxed to <laughs> can I find the mini bar yeah and I or is the closet big enough it's like it's a huge range I'm curious about the headspace that you are in when you're doing this because there's a lot of different perspectives that you're trying to balance it seems to me one is the customer who's actually going to be staying there um, obviously you got to think how is that person going to perceive this but you're also there's a certain standard that you have to apply that comes from being in the business knowing what quality is across different you know categories within the business being able to apply that filter to it because to some extent obviously the customer is the ultimate user of this but it's also this is about the industry this we're, we're t- yeah we it, have to sort it of takes a lot more right. confidence it takes a lot more confidence to take something off the list than to keep it on the list and to have that sort of knowledge about the industry to be like you know what this just doesn't work well enough that ability is more important than the yes, 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 this was so great, let's keep it on, you know. Um, And and, sorry, go ahead, Becca. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I think that that's when we're sending people out to scout, that's probably the point that we drive home most because I think when you are visiting nice hotel most often in a, you know, a city that's not your own, you feel lucky (laughs) to be doing it, you know. It's a treat and it's part of the job, but it's also fun. And so, you know, we have to tell people, like, 
you're doing us a huge service if you come back and don't like it. Like yeah. we need to cut this list down and put it on the list because you love it, not because you feel, you know, compelled to put it on the list because you were just visiting. Yeah. And it has to like reach some realm that goes beyond just the on paper, everything sort of worked like like sort of what I'm Andrea was getting at earlier. Like there is some type of just emotional subjectivity that you have to feel comfortable with when you're staying at that hotel that would earn it a spot regardless of whether like the room service arrived on time and it tasted fine. You know, right. mm-hmm. there you, you need to sort of have that emotional oh. knowledge to say yay or nay to a hotel. Right. And we talk about that a lot and it sounds subjective and it's hard to talk about PR when you're talking about this uh, <laughs> element of the hot list, but there's a big gut response that goes into hotel stays and and we talk about you know it just had a good vibe you know the the light plates were a little off because when you've been doing this long enough you clock you know you clock everything you know the light plates were a little off you know the room service wasn't great but it just felt so good to be there that I would tell anyone Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. to visit and so you do have to have that confidence to say like Mm -hmm. no it's not um you know the creon or whatever but it's awesome. Yeah. So there's a certain amount of box checking and then there's going beyond the box checking and trying to really understand the totality of the experience and the feeling that the person is going to have when they're there, when they're getting, you know, when they're, when they're, right. uh, mm-hmm. you know, sleeping there, when they're eating there, when they're getting served. And then like, there's this final filter that you guys are throwing on top of this, which I think is a component in all this, which is it's our list, it's traveler's list, which is different from anybody else's list. So there's what is the standard of quality for being a good hotel for someone who's staying in a hotel? And then there's the factors that go into making this stand out in the industry. But then on top of that, there's what is it that we think is important about hotels and what is the perspective that we have, you know, as traveler? And how do you communicate about something like that to this collective of people, the 37 different people? Because the 37 people don't all work here. So how do you guys talk about that with the people who aren't in the office every day to talk with you, who haven't been working here for years, who don't really get that exposure? Yeah, I mean, I think there are like certain points that you can always try to agree on. One of them I would say is you need to have people out staying at these hotels who understand the inherent competitive set of the hotel. They need to be able to gauge whether this new opening is a good idea or fits in or doesn't fit into, you know, the rest of the hotels in Tokyo or something. We have to understand the mentality of there are so many different types of travelers. Like, for example, one of our sections we had this year was just a call out on London. We have so many hotels on that list where one of the the type of traveler that would stay, for example, at the Pilgrim, which is one of the hotels Andreas stayed at, would not be the type of traveler that's going to stay at Nobu over in Shoreditch, which is one of the places I yeah, stayed at. But we have to we have to sort of like remove ourselves and understand what type of traveler it's appealing to and if it's appropriate for that traveler's competitive set and right. what they can get from it. And but they're all but they're all traveler readers. Right. They're all so traveler readers, yeah. So and and just to kind of jump back for one sec to your question about how do we communicate this to people we haven't been working with for years? And I think the short answer is if we don't think they know hotels, we're not going to ask them to review it. You know, we're already sort of pre-selecting who's seeing hotels and even who's seeing a certain type of a hotel. Like I wouldn't send I'm just going to use you, Aaron. If Aaron, who knows a ton about most places in the world but doesn't know 
a ton about France and Yolanda, who spends, you know, a lot of time in France, if they're both going, I'm going to ask Yolanda just, you know, because she knows that part of the world. So you sort of steer, you know, a bit. Yeah. The standards that you're applying really do depend on a lot of factors, including the location itself. Like hotels in Paris are going to be, as a rule, certainly not exclusively, but they're going to be smaller than hotels in you know, Los Angeles as a, you know, and you can't apply the same set of standards. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think that also plays up one of the other parts of the process, which is identifying trends, mm-hmm. which is something that we always sort of call out these, you know, we don't categorize geographically with the hot list. What we try to do is establish trends that we see, you know, whether it's just in one destination or globally, and then we populate those trends. And the reason it came to my mind was because, you know, Paris is uh, a a place that usually has quite a few listings. And we have, I don't believe it was this year, but we have in the past done the sort of the cheap and cheerful in Paris, which became its own category because we saw so much of that emerging. So these scouting reports come back and then it's really on you guys to ultimately decide, right? The, the, The staff ultimately decides what goes on to this list. What is that process like? Do you guys all get into a room? Oh, God. Like, yeah, what, what do you guys... Is that- well, it's really... it's. So people probably hate us because these questionnaires that we ask them for are no joke and they're time consuming. And so what happens is we get these back and they're pages long. If they've done them well and taken them seriously. And so Aaron and I read them all and we sit together gosh, constantly, and we whittle down, and we get photo involved early, and we print out, you know, little mood boards of the different types of hotels, and it just becomes, you know, a, almost a year-long debate. And we we don't always agree, which is great, and we've convinced each other, and, <laughs> you know, uh, we've, had, we've, had people on, we've had people on staff, you know, really fight for properties. We've had People on staff say, why do you still have this on there? That needs to come off. So a lot of it is us, but there's a ton of people that are, you know, that are inputting all the time as well. There's a lot of opinions. And I think it's just because everyone actually really does care that people feel quite emotional about the hotels that they've stayed at. And they really want to be sure that, you know, we've made the right decision. I mean... Becker and I are essentially the gatekeepers, but everybody's opinion and voice is heard. Um, but they want to make sure, you know, the ones that they scouted or the ones that they feel passionately about are in the right place. And, and that's the awesome part is when they come back and they really care. It's the hotels that are mm-hmm. like, meh, you know, maybe that you're, that you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Andrea, what was it like for you as somebody who scouted, but then had to either get through or get or not get through? Well, there were a couple that I visited that we sort of ended up using in other ways where we like wrote about them online or included them in something else. I mean, oftentimes like, you know, if we visit a hotel and it's like quite great and serves a specific purpose, like, you know, we'll cover it in some other way, whether it's online or in book. Um, so, you know, there was no hotel that I visited that just like disappeared into the other. Um, but there were, there was, there were some hotels I visited that didn't make it in and some that we were like, Aaron and I had kind of long conversations going back and forth trying to figure out, not only yeah. like, is it a great hotel, but also like, what needs do these places fill? Are they different? Are they? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think it? that was. Yeah. I think I think we left one of the decisions down to you because we were so on the fence, and we finally just said, Andrea, like thumbs Come up and down, like it's, it's, it's your it's your call. <laughs> yeah, and like, it was like kind of painful to say no to it, but it was also like, you know what, this place doesn't necessarily 
it, it just wasn't quite there. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to like, it, there were like places I would have fought for and this like wasn't it. So yeah. there's all these different things. But then it, it, take the Pilgrim, for example. Mm-hmm. Like we had a sort of long conversation about this place mm-hmm. because it is kind of different from some of the other properties and I think fits into a different category of hotel than like other places might. You know, it, it's like lower priced. It's in a sort of, you know, yeah. it's right next to Paddington Station, which like, to me, as someone who travels to a lot of these hotels that and stays in places that, you know, for work that I might not be able to stay in on my own, the Pilgrim was like this sort of revelation in the way that it was priced in this very accessible way. It was in a really accessible part of London. It was sort of beautiful and fun and young. And it like hit all these marks that I wasn't even expecting a hotel to hit. And Aaron and I had this whole long conversation about like why it really made sense and why it was like adding something that London really didn't have before. And I think that was almost as much of a reason yeah. as the, the why the hotel was great and it felt great and it was beautiful. Yeah. I definitely challenged the pilgrim, I think, <laughs> on more than one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know if this but is like appropriate to be discussed. No, 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 no it, it, it totally like, is. And it, and it made the list and, and rightfully so. Um, but that's the thing, you know, sometimes the less expected set of conditions that you think apply to what makes uh, the hot list can kind of be explored greater. Like, uh, you know, uh, this is one hotel that's in London, which is a great hotel town, which had a ton of openings this year. Um, like I said earlier, we call it out specifically as a destination with a lot of openings. And the Pilgrim, I think, ultimately won its spot, not just because Andre scouted it and it was very comfortable, but mostly because it, it offered a point of difference into an overcrowded already very, very established hotel destination, which which is hotless-worthy. Is there a sense right. when you guys are making these decisions that something getting on also means something not getting on? Not necessarily. If it deserves to be on, it will make it. We expand, like last year we had 75 properties. This year we have 102. And we really, we really tried to stay at 100. <laughs> it was a good um, year, in other words. It was a good year, yeah. But we really, you know, we tried to keep it at 100 and we, and we just couldn't. And we made the case to Pilar and, and she was like, you don't worry about the number, put in the ones that you feel deserve to be on the list. So there's, I think, I think there's only been one hotel in the history of, of me working on this where I still feel like it should have been on and it, and it wasn't. But everyone else, I feel really kind of, you know, because they only but get she's not good about. <laughs> well, there's only one shot, right? It's the first year, and after that, you're yeah, not you eligible anymore. Yeah, yeah. Unless you make it to gold. Yeah, list, good luck but that's gold a list, list, but that's a whole other set of That's another podcast. Tune yeah. in in January 2019. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you have a major, a major renovation that uh, that gets you on the hot list. Yeah. So, what kinds of patterns did you see this year? You mentioned earlier, Erin, that you guys see patterns as you're putting this together and they start to emerge. What were some of those this year? Yeah, Small. I think, yeah, one of the main ones that we, I don't think we've ever done before was the emergence of the like super micro hotel. And that's not a pod hotel. It was like we didn't have an exact number of rooms that you needed to be under, but it, essentially none of the hotels had more than like 10 rooms, I think, maybe 12. Right. It was almost like we were seeing this trend, Brad, where it was kind of a cross between what you think about as a villa rental, mm-hmm. but it's very much self-aware and making itself feel like a hotel in terms of either concierge or programming, or even the way it's marketing itself, it's calling itself a hotel. Mm. So, you know, I think one of the, or maybe two of the hotels in that micro category were, you know, single occupancy. Like you have to take the whole 
place. So that's sort of turning the notion of a hotel a little bit, you know, on its head. Yeah, very unusual. There wasn't, usually we have a pretty through line in terms of design. And what was kind of great about this year is we saw a lot of, you know, well-designed, high-designed hotels, but there wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, they're all sort of Scandi austere, or they're all kind of, you know, super pattern maximalist. It was really kind of across the board um, design-wise, which was interesting. There were a couple that struck me as, and I'm thinking of the one in um, Jackson. I'm terrible with names, so forgive me for not remembering. Oh, An- Anvil? Yeah, and then also the Austin, where it seemed as though there's a motel aesthetic that is kind mm-hmm. of being applied, but kind of upgraded. Is that fair, do you think? Uh, yeah, It's I not think a brand so. new thing necessarily, but it doesn't feel like we've had a ton of those on there before. I think that's fair. I think we could put a few more in that category as well. I think Surfrider Malibu kind of hit that. And in note Aust- as well. the Austin Motel. Austin Motel for sure. We also made a real effort this year to get in hotels that people like us could afford. You know, mm. it's not, you know, if you're if you're not getting a media rate or you're not there scouting for the company. So I don't know if that's a byproduct of that, that we were a little bit more inclusionary in terms of, of but Price I, point. I mean, I also just sorry to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. I also just think hotels, just in general, are like stepping up their game at that price point. So I think like oh, that's sure. something mm-hmm. that came out of this year. Like it's not yep. like oh, it's you know, ugh, you know, it's only one hundred and fifty dollars a night. So of course it's going to be. Their hotel industry in general is recognizing that they have a market to appeal to, especially with millennial travelers who are people that have good taste. Not that they have no money, but they don't have as big a budget. And so they're trying to court them. And I think like the emergence of things like Freehand and the Pilgrim and the Austin Motel was all acknowledging that that's happening in the hotel industry. Uh, Well, I think absolutely. That's a great point. And I think that that also a lot of times those hotels are fun. You yeah, know, you don't. I, the free hands are want. great. I mean, I'd everybody prefer, yeah. loves the free hands. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd prefer to stay in like a really chilled out rooftop pool place yeah. in downtown Austin than a snooty, you know, thousand dollar a night play, you know, that could be its competitive sets. Yeah, they're, they're just, I, with that territory, because of who they're appealing to comes a little bit of a more relaxed vibe that's carried out in the aesthetic and the amenities that they offer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it is appeal. It is, it is, it's courting a, a new traveler that they can have for decades more. Yeah. What were the biggest surprises this year for you guys? One thing for me, and this isn't a surprise because of the brand at all. I really, really trust this brand completely, but I really fell quite hard for the Rosewood and Phuket. <laughs> I, Do you I know knew it. it. <laughs> I, 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 could have said, I could have said that verbatim for you. Because, you know, Phuket doesn't have the best reputation. Uh, it didn't actually fall into this category, but we do have a separate category, which is sort of like the rebound of the over-touristed, you know, the over-touristed trap that we haven't gone to for the past 10 years. But Phuket is just not a place you would think would have a property like the Rosewood. Um, and What's I, it like? It is just so fantastic and relaxing. It's Rosewood's first wellness property, and they've done such an amazing job of it. It's so tranquil. It's so tasteful. And Phuket is not the type of place I think of as tasteful, and I haven't for a 10, 15 years, you know, it's so <laughs> overrun with backpackers and, and, you know, the towns on the periphery are not that lovely, but it was, I went there after three super exhausting days in Bangkok and there's nowhere else I would have wanted to be to sort of unwind from Bangkok. And I'd add uh, the line DC. 
hotel. Mm. That is the coolest looking thing. Like, I really want to go there because it just looks so cool. It's so cool. It's so well done. The food is amazing. And, you know, D.C. is not known for it's known for a lot of things. Cool. Not really. So that to me was a really welcome, welcome addition. When you see, Erin, when you see something like the Rosewood in Phuket, and it seems like it doesn't fit with the context, and that's part of what makes it stand out for you. Do you feel like that's the beginning of something, or does it feel like an anomaly? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is what I was saying earlier. Quite often, when it's the right hotel opening the right place, it is suggesting something more about the destination than it is the hotel itself. And we expect that to be a harbinger for a certain type of traveler to start going to or going back to that place. And we've seen that a few times, eh, Becca? Yeah, we saw it in Cabo. We saw it with Chileno Bay being sort of a younger, hipper take on Cabo. And then with Acre, which is kind of between um, Cabo San Lucas and San Jose del Cabo, nowhere near the beach, that was really kind of farm-to-table craft cocktails, not spring-breaky, not family. So just sort of a bellwether of the type of traveler who's coming to Cabo and maybe why they're coming. So, yeah, we kind of watch when we see something like that. Same with Puebla in Mexico. Our radar kind of goes up and we feel like there's either the beginning of something happening or we're kind of in the middle of a change for that destination. Yeah, it was the same thing we brought up on last week's podcast about Detroit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all it takes for a hotel to finally, or excuse me, a destination to finally be recognized is the right hotel opening. Um, Puebla, like Becca said, was one of those, like the perfect example of that, which is it's the fourth largest city in Mexico, not heavily touristed or trafficked, but they had two landmark openings this year. And that was enough for A, us to pay attention to it and then get sort of that critical mass behind it. The Rosewood is one of the brands that opened there as well. And now you're seeing so many people in in the States going to Puebla and using it as their Mexico City break. And before that hotel infrastructure opening there, people didn't treat it the same way. How much of that is push and how much of that is pull? Like how much of that is the destination, the city, the, the town, whatever it is, having to reach a certain point and how much is the hotel itself really kind of creating momentum? Well, sorry, do you... Uh, no, I think it's both. I think it, it's, I think it works both ways. I think sometimes the hotel can itself be enough of a pull for a destination. And then sometimes I think that there's something kind of groovy happening in a destination and smart hoteliers, you know, like um, Habitas in Guadalajara pick up on that that's happening and they build a really awesome boutique hotel and and kind of give the type of people that are coming there to shop for crafts, you know, a cool place to stay. So I don't know, Erin, I don't know what you think. I think it kind of depends on. Yeah, I think it's like you have to sort of have the right sense and the right gauge for what's already happening and like the greater destination. Uh, You know, Mexico has the benefit of obviously we we are an American travel magazine and we have American readers that they Mexico itself already has that locked in market that are interested in in exploring, going back a second time, going back a third time, like going to the next place. So it benefits a place like Puebla because we as curious travelers are already having Mexico on our radar and we want to know where to go next. I think, you know, the flip side of that is we saw some, you know, hotel openings where the hotel itself was fine. You couldn't fault it. 
but it was in these far-flung places, which just wasn't ready yet for the market that we're servicing. And that was a reason to not make the list. So it, it goes both ways. But you have to have the right instinct about the destination f to open a hotel there and, and also be the right brand and make the right people come. I think you could look at what Liz Lambert did in, in Toda Santos with San Cristobal. I mean, that's a destination where, you know, it, it's been largely expat artists and surfers going for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And she kind of tapped into the fact that there are some surfers going there and she built a hotel and, and now I think it's, you know, it's a lot more than surfers if you look at social media. Yeah. yeah. How important are things like restaurants and a hotel having a good food program? How much does that factor into what you guys decide? Uh, uh, it definitely shows up in the scouting notes. I mean, yeah. I would say it's not everything, but it can be like a huge factor it can be it can a reason be, why something yeah. doesn't make the list, I would say. And and it, yeah, and it can, it can be, be a right. reason. And it can also be a reason why it does. We have a category dedicated to a year coming, even if you're not staying, which basically means, you know, the hotels that have like the fabulous restaurant, and the fabulous bars that locals are going to anyway, even if you've checked into a different hotel, you need to come here during your trip because it's such... A landmark opening for the destination and we also have like a f it, it granted it is small but we do have food minded hotels as a category as well what about wellness has been a big topic of conversation this year how are hotels handling that what did you see this year when you looked across the sort of set that you um, examined i think wellness in general is such a huge growing <laughs> part of of hotels and i I think we noticed that the definition of wellness is definitely expanding and definitely becoming, I mean, I, we joke around the office, like a couple of years ago, if a Hyatt offered like sound therapy, they would have been, you know, <laughs> scoffed at, but in the age of, you know, green juice and chia pudding everywhere, I think that there's just a more holistic, more sort of, you know, little hippy trippy, uh, vibe at most places. I just think wellness is becoming more important in people's lifestyles. And I think, of course, this is a massive statement, but quite often the things we look for in hotels are reflective of what people are looking for and either why they travel or what they try to maintain day to day. So it's like food was a few years ago and continues to be. Wellness is just a, a, like more increasingly more important in hotels. I mean, it's all things that people kind of plan their trips around. Yeah. And if it's a make or break for a traveler, you know, if they're not going to stay in a hotel that doesn't have great food, that's something to think about in, in when you're doing the scouting and you're doing the writing. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are you guys unimpressed by that you think the, <laughs> that the, that the hotels think you're going to be impressed by? Well, that's like a big part of, I think, what makes the list so special is that a lot of the times you have to cut through like all of this fluff and PR noise and like social media hype. Like there's some places that you'll see on 500 people's Instagram accounts and there'll be like these incredible photos and then you get there and it doesn't live up to it. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's the fact that we have been there and we've seen that like just outside the frame is this like massive construction <laughs> site or like, yeah, do, you, I was say, do you appreciate that or do you, does it piss you off when you go and you're like, yeah, they just built that thing for Instagram. No, it pisses me it pisses off. It pisses me off. And it's like <laughs> it's so misleading. It's so, but it's also like it, 
it's such a fascinating thing, like just working in this industry and seeing this happens with restaurants too yeah. and cafes mm-hmm. and totally. yeah. places in New York. It's like there's places that every single person has Instagrammed in the exact same way. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Le Cuckoo. Le Cuckoo. <laughs> was like, I was thinking matcha bar. That was like, yeah. mine. <laughs> it was like picturing in my head. But yeah, it's like, and sometimes like that's, that doesn't impress me if there's one element that is like specifically designed to be photographed and everything else is like not really thought through. No, yeah. it feels like a, a bait and switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you get there and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also think I, and I, it may just be that I'm a little jaded and I, I read way too many press releases every day. I'm over the, you know, hammering the local because yeah. <laughs> I think, it, you know, the, the local experience and the, you know, local immersion and the, it just, to me, it's sort of like what happened with, with farm to table. Yeah. And it's like, you know, anything is, is pretty much farm to table, really. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's weird if it isn't at this point. Uh, yeah. Right? And there can be a lot of, <laughs> like, of bullshit. Somebody's like, fuck that farm to table. Yeah. We just fuck factory, we're, we're, we sourced we're, all we're this from Kroger. On this fish. <laughs> yeah, Kroger is can, our source. <laughs> but you can really make anything farm to table if you just omit the, you know, 500 middlemen in between. And it's, yeah. it's it sort was of a farm that was <laughs> seven states over, but it was a farm exactly. nonetheless. We helicoptered uh, it. <laughs> and, this, and the same is with the local crap. You know, it's just, some of it is truly authentic and great and but it it a good hotel should feel of place and if you're like cramming the local stuff down people's throats it makes me wonder like you know yeah. <laughs> unless it's like is a, a place like suspicious. Phuket and you don't want it to feel like the yeah. rest of it yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> what about the art thing like the sad gallery in the in the oh. oh we have local artists and what that amounts to is like the reception on Wednesday night for like five people in a sad little room that's really devoted to conferences most of the time mm-hmm. I think you just answered your own question but some hotels do it really well I mean like the freehand New York that did not make it onto this year's house was because it just opened after after January yeah, after 1st. January so it was like a later it's a potential for next year. It's a potential. You'll have to listen and find out. Um, but they are doing something sort of fascinating where they actually have artists in residence and they had like young artists at Bard College like paint all of these interiors and create original pieces for the lobby. And it, it feels very like real and mm-hmm. very New York. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a sort of sanctimonious like look at these local artists that we're celebrating. <laughs> it's like this is really cool and it's beautiful and we're including it because it's cool and it's beautiful. And that that felt really cool to me. Yeah. And, it has to kind of feel like they're not just ticking a box because they think it's supposed to be ticked yeah. to impress. It has to feel like it's coming from a place of genuine interest and mm-hmm. curiosity. Have you ever lobbied for a place where you thought the program was cool, but the art itself wasn't? Probably the flip side for me. Mm-hmm. I thought the art was was the reason to call it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's either like you kind of don't notice it or it's particularly impressive. Like I've never been like offended by the art. <laughs> 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 like, and also like just by virtue of the fact that it's in a hotel, you're not going to go that gutsy with it. Like mm-hmm. it has to be relatively like safe yeah. or it's going to be like whatever that, like at the Fianna hotel, there's that, the Hearst. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Hearst Hearst. That, was, that clogged everybody's Instagram feed. I, I think even I posted that. I, one, I that did. elephant skeleton once. Yeah. And the one in Miami. Yep. Yeah, That's I the Don that. DeLillo moment where you like yeah. from white noise where like you can't actually see the thing anymore. You can only see the act of taking pictures of the thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but wasn't that on the list last year or this year? It was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, a great, it's a great hotel. It's a great hotel. It's a great hotel. Yeah. 
Great hotel. <laughs> Damien Hurst aside, Andre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Damien Hurst. But that's like one of those things where like I've seen. It Is there really nothing times. wrong with Damien? I don't know. There I mean, something wrong with that's a separate podcast. His last show and <laughs> yeah, different. <laughs> I'll yeah. leave it at that. Um, so I, I this is kind of like a big and subjective question, but if you think about the role that hotels play, what hotels are like, what they're trying to do, how do you feel like that is changing? You know, the, and I'm thinking kind of big scale, like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the role of the hotel for travelers, the role of the hotel for particular destinations. How do you feel like that business is changing or do you feel like it's changing? I'm going to kind of go back to something that I was just bashing. Um, I think that hotels for a long time wanted to, especially the big chain ones, it was a it was a boon if they made you feel like you were at home. You know, it was a good thing if you could go to Tokyo and then go to Milan and feel like you were in the same hotel. And I think that, you know, the past couple of years, hotels have really made a point of not doing that. Even the big brands now, when you're in Belize, you want to feel like you're in Belize. You want the wood to be uh, you know, local mahogany or whatever. You want the architectural style to feel like you're of place. So I think that, in a way, they've become more portal to place than, you know, familiar, which I think is good and reflective of the way that we travel and and why we want to travel. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think as much as we just bashed the word local you do actually want them to successfully achieve making it feel local and that you're actually not leaving the destination the second you step through your hotel room and you know that's something I think that's like a through line for in their own way like all of the hotels that we have on the list but just from like a larger industry perspective you know hotels are competing in a market that isn't hotel driven anymore. It's driven by things like rentals and Airbnb. And you're seeing some of our, like our favorite brands like Toshino and their hotels are called Hoshinoya, but they've just launched, you know, an, a, like a secondary brand, which basically they've stripped out all of the traditional amenities, like the bar and the restaurant. Some of them have them, but they, they sort of deprioritized those spaces and they've prioritized having the right people in at the check-in desk at the concierge to make sure that they can direct you to the right places in the destination so it's like they're reinventing the idea of the traditional hotel concierge and like that's how they're staying competitive because even they realize that it's all about the access to the local and the feeling of the local when you're in their hotel do you guys feel like you can come away from putting a list like this together and thinking about it the way that you do thinking about hotels the way that you must as you're going through this can you come away with a sense of hospitality, like what hospitality means these days? I I think so. I mean... Well, that was a tougher one than I thought. Yeah, that's a really tough one. easy. Yeah, it really was. Because the thing is, obviously, that there's a very... You can answer that so many ways. There's a very subjective definition to hospitality. People, different people want different things, and it's interpreted in different ways. Um well, do you feel, let me ask a different piece of that, which is, first of all, these are all people who've chosen to be in the hospitality business. So like at that level, right, there's some level of commitment to it. But can you draw a common thread where at least one of the things that people in this category share with so many different diverse elements to their business and to what they do, do you feel like they actually care 
about the experience that you're having? Is that is that palpable? Is that something you come away with? I think the good ones, absolutely. And in fact, I think that, that we talk a lot about vibe or, or, or feeling. Do you want to be there? Do you feel good when you're there? And I think a lot of that comes down to just have they succeeded in being hospitable and making you feel welcome and comfortable. Yeah. And I, this is just personal to me, but I reckon it probably expands to all of us. If there are two hotels and one of them just had the warmest, loveliest, best staff, but came up a little bit short on sort of the material and the other one nailed the material, but the staff was clumsy and not that reliable or that efficient, I'm going to default to the one with the better staff. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, me too. Yeah. I would That's 100%. more memorable. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Andrea? Well, I mean, I think it's it all goes to the same thing. I mean, I was having a conversation yesterday with a colleague, and it was like he was talking about how he was staying at a hotel where he really got the sense that the staff there, like, cared about not only, like, their jobs but also the fact that he was like having a great time and doing all these things Mm. that didn't feel like over the top or overdone just like really genuinely nice I think that makes all the difference like I think there's often in this sort of old school sense of hospitality that goes along with that old school thing of like you want it to feel cookie cutter and the same and looks like a hotel anywhere in the world I think that the new sort of form of hospitality is, is more casual like a little bit more real, a little bit less like, what can I do for you, sir? It's like, hey, like, do you need anything? <laughs> or like, I mean, I don't know, like at Habitat, one of the one of the things I found really cool about it, this is the hotel in Tulum that was on the list this year that I stayed at, that there was no like phones in the rooms because it's a glamping retreat on a beach. But instead, <laughs> you just reached the concierge in the front desk via WhatsApp. It felt so convenient to me. It was like, this isn't like a fancy touch, but it's a it's a way to tap into the way that people live right now. And like I have my phone on me at all times. The Wi-Fi worked perfectly. I, you know, wanted to know if there was a bike I could use. And I just like WhatsApped the front desk <laughs> and they answered me in two minutes. And like that's sort of a brilliant of course, example. Of course, of this. the flip side of that is if it were my father <laughs> staying at that hotel, he would have been so confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but in that same way, but, yeah. this is a kind of hotel that like I wouldn't have told your father yeah, to stay. Yeah, exactly. At, which totally. is sort of yeah. and that's also Brad. just like knowing your audience in a way. Well, I think I'm gonna sum it up really quickly with hospitality. I think there's sort of the asshole test. You don't mm-hmm. want to ever feel like an asshole. Either like someone is fawning over you and it's too much and mm-hmm. you're feeling in this position of like, oh, let me just, you know, carry my own bag. Or you're, <laughs> you're, made, <laughs> you're made to feel somehow that you, you, you don't belong. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's kind of a low, a low base level check for me. Um, and then I would agree with Aaron and say, hands down, you know, depends a lot on the staff. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the one most important thing when you're evaluating hotel subject, completely subjective. So take yourself out of, you know, I'm representing traveler. I'm representing the brand. I have to, I'm representing the hot list for you personally, when you go entirely subjectively, what is it? Oh my God. Well, I can answer this immediately and it's probably not the best answer, but you know, the one thing I love to do the most in any hotel, 
I take a bath and I put on the bathrobe almost straight away. And I don't do that at home. That's like that's like the Aaron metric of of how comfortable a hotel is. And if that's good. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, this doesn't factor into how I, it doesn't affect what goes on the hot list. This is just, um, this is just what I love and I look for in a hotel. It's my little like hotel indulgence. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Becca. Are you, are you looking at me? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I guess my bathrobe equivalent would be uh, a drink. Do I either, I mean, my favorite thing to do, and this is because I'm a warm weather person, is to go out on a patio or a deck and have a beer. <laughs> and I either want to be able to do that or I want to be able to go downstairs and sit at the lobby bar and have a drink. If I don't want to do either or I can't do either, probably not my hotel. Andrea? I was going to say the bathroom, but Aaron sort of like covered that in such a beautiful, poetic way. So <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, didn't, I really, really didn't, didn't think it was like, I think the bathroom work. is very important. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, even just like the product in the shower. Do they feel really nice? Do they feel special? Yeah. That's like very important to and me. And I also feel like the bathroom is the one place where a hotel feels the most unique from the other hotels. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just does. But sorry, carry but on. But then the sort of secondary to that is like, if I were to walk down to the front desk on my way out and ask, like, where's a good place nearby to, like, get a drink or have lunch or have, like, a cozy romantic dinner? Like, if they're able to answer that and nail it, mm. then that feels really good to me. And that feels like a sort of next level of hospitality. Like, if they give you a thoughtful answer to a quest, like a very specific question about, like, what to do that isn't specifically related to the hotel itself, but has more to do with, like, the neighborhood and the city or wherever you're in. That actually, I think, is quite important. Yeah. That sounds good. Those are all good. Okay. Thanks to all of you guys for being willing to come and talk about this and shed some light on this process as well as talk about hotels and how they've evolved. It was very cool. I didn't know a lot of these things, even though I work next to all of you. <laughs> Got to get you scouting more. I know. I have... I actually semi-scouted a hotel that ended up on the list last year, which was which was fun and cool. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com, and you can find the hot list at cntraveler.com slash hot dash list, and you can see the uh, hotels that we've chosen broken down by country. You can see some of the themes and some of the patterns that we broke them down into. So everything is linked to from that particular page. The Women Who Travel podcast, which I talk about every week, has finished its second season. So they're on hiatus right now, but they did their last episode for season two came out on Monday. So check that out. It was about summer travel. They planned summer travel for you. So it's actually useful. And you should, as usual, uh, subscribe to that. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. Please do tweet at us. I, I guess maybe I won't ask people to tweet Aaron and Becca their hotel choices because you guys are already getting dozens of those every day. But we would love to hear from you what your favorite hotel experiences are, what you look for in a hotel, and when you've been surprised or delighted. We don't really need to hear the disappointments. That's what TripAdvisor is for. Go tell them. <laughs> but we want to know what your bathrobe is. Yeah. We, what is your, what is your bathrobe moment? Like, what did you think was awesome? Um, that's always fun to hear. And send us feedback. Review us on iTunes. Aaron, how can people get in touch with you for anything but a pitch for a hotel? Follow me at Aaron underscore Florio on Instagram. Becca. Uh, Becca Beck on Instagram. Andrea. I am a whittle bit on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> I love it. Every time. Every time it gets me. <laughs> 
you're really good on Twitter. People should follow you. I'm Instagram too, but <laughs> I, I think you're hilarious on Twitter. Thank you. I'm at Brad Rick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.